Good morning. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded. Through faith, for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, precious than gold, that perishes, though it is tested by fire. May be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Christ. Wonderful. Thank you, Natasha. Okay. Morning, everybody. Great to see you. So thrilled that you are here uh, today at West Falls Church. You know, the team here at West has just done an excellent job at creating uh, a space where people who are churchgoers and non-churchgoers can come and can learn more about Jesus Christ and how he has changed lives and how he is changing lives. Hats off to that team that's here. I was wondering, could we just uh, could we do me a favor? Could we just give them a round of applause for all this? Don, it's been fantastic. Thank you. I've been willing to, to be here a number of times this summer and to work with them. It's great. So for those of you who are watching online, uh, I just want to say, you know, it's, and I've talked to a lot of people recently, um, it's wonderful to be in your bed right now and drinking coffee and have Nothing replaces your presence. <laughs> so uh, if you can uh, have a, an opportunity sometimes to, to come out and be with us, we'd love to see you here. And that's all I'll say about that uh, for now. All right. It's her- talking about storms rising above a storm. It's hurricane season. And North America has been hit by some really powerful hurricanes. Can anybody remember the most powerful hurricane on record that North America has been hit with? A little crowd. Everybody remember? It happened just two... Andrew, Andrew, Andrew really, okay, that's like, it wasn't Andrew. <laughs> not Katrina, not Katrina, a- happened just two years ago, don't look at your smartphone. Sandy, not Sandy either, it is a female name, just two, October 2015, Hurricane Patricia. Two hundred friends. I got it off the internet. The internet's always right. (laughs) Second most powerful one. It hasn't been said. It's a male name. Huh? Happened in August of 1980. Mile an hour winds. It is Allen. Hurricane Allen. All right. How about the last one? Third most powerful hurricane. Happened a long time ago. Anybody know the name? Hugo. It's no name. It's the Labor Day hurricane. They started calling hurricanes by name, happened in 1935, wiped out much of the keys. There was a railroad that Henry Flagler was putting down there, a business partner of Rockefeller, and it just, boom, in one weekend, totally wiped it out. Hurricane, fully strong. They cause a lot of destruction. 
These strong storms cause a tremendous amount of destruction because they are so powerful. Maybe you're in a storm right now. I think maybe there's like three places that we could be, you know, when we think about hurricanes. Be in the eye of the storm right now, right? Right in the eye where it's blue skies and kind of calm breezes and everything's okay, but you know, you know, you know that storm's moving and you know it's coming because it's reality. Or maybe you're at a place where you is just starting to pick up and you're just wondering, you're wondering in your mind saying, how bad is this storm going to be? Is it going to be a category one? Is it going to be a category two, three? You're just wondering. Or maybe you're standing at the window of your home and you're looking out and the trees are completely bent over and you're wondering if all the pressure from the wind is is going to collapse your house. You can be in one of three places, but storms are always coming. Storms cause tremendous destruction. But from our scripture verse read this morning by Natasha, verse number three, that God causes hope. Storms cause destruction, but God causes God causes hope. This letter that was written by Peter, who is the leader of Jesus' disciples, right, is a story that is all about is all about hope. Matter of fact, Peter is called the apostle of hope. He's the apostle of encouragement, of hope. And he, he's telling us this, right, that you won't get through life without being affected by a storm. You're not going to get through affected. Storms are coming. It's just inevitable. We're going to be hit with them. You're either in a storm now or you're headed into a storm. You're only in basically two different places. That's the way it works out. You won't get, li- get through life without being affected by a storm, and you won't get through storms without Hope. That's why hope is the essential element in this entire book of First Peter. There's only a couple of chapters there in First Peter. I encourage you to read them. We're going to march through a couple of these chapters over the next four weeks. This letter is a combination talk packed with spiritual and practical power. Right. So there's a, there's a lot of and, you know, emotional encouragement that we find here. And in some ways, as I was reading through it over and over again through this past summer, I kept thinking of Winston Churchill gave some of the, some of those most amazing speeches. He said in December of 1941, this is after the attack on Pearl Harbor, he said it to the Canadian Parliament. This is what he said. We have not journeyed across the centuries, across the oceans, across the mountains, prairies, because we're made of sugar candy. Man, he just had a way of, right? So we're tough. And this is what Peter is calling out. Hope, grit helps us to move forward. And he's like sparking them saying, come on, let's go. Let's move forward. He said, you are a chosen people. You're a holy nation. You have been called out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Now, if that isn't a pep talk, I don't know what is. And so he's firing them up because they're going through a storm. They're suffering a really bad. And he's dealing with that storm head on. Saying, you know what? The storm causes destruction, but God causes, I like the way it says that, it, God causes hope in our lives. We need hope, and this letter delivers hope in a big way. This is about hope. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. And this is true. Doctors and philosophers have told us this, that when a person doesn't have hope, when there's hopelessness in their life, they either become ill and in some cases they actually die. That's how bad it is. We hope in our lives. And even though things in our world as compared to 100 years ago or 1,000 years ago or 2,000 years ago, even though things are better, I mean, they're just, they're just far better. If you've read much in history, you know that things today are just far better that we're experiencing an epidemic of hopelessness. How is it possible? I mean, things are better, but there's an epidemic of hopelessness that is going on. And so for the next four weeks, we'll talk about this important and prominent biblical theme of hope. Today, we're going to talk about what is hope. 
Next week, we're going to talk about where you find hope. It's very important. It's a driving point of the entire letter of 1 Peter, where you find hope. Matter of fact, as I go through this message today, you're going to say, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, and I'm hoping that you do that. And I want to tell you that many of those answers will come next week. Next week, okay? So that's next week. In the third week, which is September 3rd, we'll talk about why we should spread hope. It's so important that we should spread hope. And then on September 10th, we'll talk about how to protect hope. And I'm going to tell you a little bit of my story, as God often, often does, as I prepare for a series. And now we got a whole one about storms and difficulties in life. Had some challenges in my own life over the past number of months. And on September 10th, we're going to talk about that. So, so what, where, why, and how. Those are our four weeks on hope. Now, you might say, what is hope? Okay, I got it. I know what hope is. I wanted to say that this is not a snoozer. I know what hope is. Come on, how easy is it? Okay. The way we use the word hope today is very different from the way the word hope is used in the Bible. Very, very different. And so any discussion on hope right here with a proper definition of what in the world does the word hope mean. So we say this, everybody. We say, I hope so. And it's like a wishful thought, right? I hope so. And the Bible says this. The Bible says, I know so. That's the way the Bible uses the word hope. So hope so. And, and the Bible says, I know so. So let me give you some examples of that, right? So we say, do you think that you'll get the job? And you say, I hope so. I hope so. You think you'll get the promotion? I hope, hope so. Can you say that with me? So do you think you get the promotion? You'll say, I hope so. Now, I hope so. You think your stocks will go up? I hope so. Man, I hope so. Do you think he or she will go out with you? I hope so. I hope so. You think the Redskins will win? I hope so. I hope so. I hope so. You think the Cowboys will lose? I hope so. I hope so. There's the difference. All right? The difference, everybody, between no so and hope so. No so. So, so we use the word as a wishful, it's like a wishful thought. And the Bible doesn't use that. It doesn't use hope that way. It uses it as no so. Hebrews chapter 6, very good. This hope as an anchor for the soul, and it's firm and secure. It's firm and secure. There's no wishful thought there. It's firm, it's fixed, it's solid, it's secure. We can be very confident in it, right? It's not wishy-washy. I'm not hoping that it'll be okay. I know it will be okay because it's, it's fixed. It's secure. Now, hopeful thinking is not the same thing in the Bible. Hopeful thinking, another point of clarification, is not thinking. This is not where you're like, okay, I'm employing the power of positive thinking in this situation, which in some cases can be really unrealistic, right? It's very important to be positive, Actually, by nature, faith, hope, and love is positive. It's encouraged to make the case for that. You probably realize that already, and that's really clear in the Bible. But it, it's something much more than the power of positive thinking. You know, people, they've studied this. If you're positive, just by nature, if you're positive and you're upbeat, they have looked at this scientifically 1% more effective in what you do. So it's really important to be positive. So I don't want to play that down. But what, what's also important is remember that in the Bible, it's... It's important not to be overly optimistic to the point that you're outside of reality. Now, two parents, very wealthy parents, they um, had twin boys. 
And the two twin boys were extremely different from each other, very, very different. And as they grew older, they just kept diverging. And the one was overly pessimistic and the other overly optimistic. And they were at extremes. And the parents looked at them, saw what was going on. They tried to coach them, tried to help them. They felt like they were getting to dangerous levels too far and they needed to bring it back in. So they came up with an idea at Christmas time. So we've got to break what's going on in their lives. We've got to break it. So they came up with this idea. What was it going to do? So the, for the overly pessimistic son for Christmas, they got dozens and dozens and dozens of brand new toys. And they filled his bedroom, he had his own bedroom, filled his bedroom up with all these toys, right? And the other son, the overly optimistic son, right? They're going to break him of that as well. They got a bunch of horse manure and they filled up his room with horse manure. And then they waited outside on Christmas morning just to see what would, what would. of course, they're thrilled. They're waiting for the son, the pessimistic son, right, to come out with all those brand new toys, right? And so, you know, what happened is so they're there with smiles on their faces waiting because they want to break this mold. And he comes out and he's just, just so glum, so glum, just down. Like, did you like all the toys? And they're trying to pump them up. And he said, no, I was afraid to even open them. I thought I might break them. I'm like, oh, my gosh. Well, we still have son number two. Maybe we can break him of this optimism that he has. And they're just kind of standing there hoping that he'll come out gloomy a little bit right in verse and he comes out huge smile on his face like bounding out smiling he's so energized like what what is what are you doing why are you so happy he's like no if i keep digging i'm gonna find that pony in that room somewhere (laughs) so hope is no so it's not wishful thought and it's not being overly optimistic to the point outside the bounds of reality, all right? Uh, Peter is asking us to think this whole idea of hope through. So if you'd like to fill in the blanks on the back side of that bulletin, here's something that's important to say here. He's saying we have a living hope because we have a living Christ. We have a living hope because we have a living Christ. The key word here is alive or living. It's got to be living, right? Real hope must be alive. It's key because death renders everything meaningless and hopeless. Shakespeare wrote about this from Macbeth. He says, out, out, brief candle. Life is but a walking shadow, a prayer that struts and frets his hour upon the stage and then is heard no more, is a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury signifying nothing. So in our scripture text for today from 1 Peter chapter 4 says that we're perishing, that we're fading away. We have a limited shelf life. We're like milk on a shelf. Not just us, everything around us. So unless we're attached to something that is aligned, which is what is being said here, we have no hope at all because everything is fading away. Think about it. Everything in your life is fading away. Money, career, looks, possessions. One day you won't even care. I know you got up this morning, you got ready to come here today, and you looked at the mirror right before you walked out of your place, and you said, oh my gosh, I'm so good looking, right? You just can't believe it. And you, some of you probably kissed the mirror before you walked out because it was so amazing. But holy, sooner than what you realize it, one day you're not even going to care how you look. You're not even going to care. You spent much time in nursing homes. They don't, they don't care anymore. They don't care. They don't care about the promotions. They don't care about things that you care about so, so much. So my grandfather was a captain in the Navy in uh, World War II. 
And he ran a really tight ship, right? And one of the things he did, because after he got out of the Navy, he became a stockbroker. So he was really, you know, financial house was in order. And as he got older, there was a point where a mom said, hey, you want me to take over your bills? He's like, no. I mean, he's very upset. Don't do No, I'm, I'm running my house, right? I'm running the ship here. Don't even think about it. It was a big deal. So then all of a sudden, one day, he just didn't care anymore. Stop paying the bills. Like, they stacked up. My mom shows up. Saying, you got all these people calling. Say, you owe us money. I don't care. <laughs> you can care less. You know you're going to hit that one day. Victor Frankl wrote a lot about this, right? He wrote about the Holocaust, and he wrote about suffering, and he wrote about hope and who has hope and doesn't. And he, he, he's the one, particularly in his book, In Man's Search for Meaning, which now here's the thing, and this is what Peter's saying. It's deep, deep thinking here, but think this through. It's very rational. Peter's argument here is both spiritual and rational, and it's filled with power. Those people who lost hope, he'd notice, in the camps, they, they, what is suffering? Think about this. What exactly is suffering? So if you're going through suffering right now, Why? It is this. It is this. It is all the finite things of life. Money, looks, career, present people, even marriage. It is all of them being stripped away from you. That's what suffering is, isn't it? You're losing them. They're all finite. They have a limited shelf life. They're milk on a shelf. And they're going to perish today and a decade from now, but they're all perishing. And if you are attached to things that are finite then you really don't have hope. And so what does it say? We need to have a living hope because we have what? We have a living... So I want to encourage you to take a shot of adrenaline this morning. A shot of adrenaline, right? Warren Wearsby says this, hope is not a sedative. We think, oh yeah, okay, it's hoping. That goofy person over there, they're just all hopped up on hope and they're ridiculous. Okay, it's not a sedative, he says. It's a shot of adrenaline. Second Corinthians makes that so clear. It says, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Why? Because we know so. We don't hope so. It's not wishful thinking, right? Hope in the Bible so, and it's focused on future and forward. This is really key. Because if you're focused on here and now, everything that's finite, you're going to realize you're going to be very disappointed and discouraged because it's all coming to an end, right? Your looks, your incredible looks, and your, all this stuff, you are going to one day not care about it. And if that's all there is, you're going to be left empty. It's future and forward forward. It's future and forward. And it's infinite. It's not finite. Hope is not found in a set of ideas or a list of goals or plans. It's found in a living person, according to 1 Peter, and that living person is Jesus Christ. It's why the Bible over and over again talks about death. Because philosophers will tell you this all day long. Death renders everything hopeless and meaningless. So you got to deal with death. The Bible talks about resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15, this really, really, really long chapter that's all about victory over what? Death, and that's why death has to be dealt with, because even secular philosophers will tell you this. You have to deal with it, and that's why the Bible deals with it. So are to something finite or infinite? Where are you anchored to in your own life? Jesus is our hope. Biblical hope isn't hope so, it's no-so. It's a no-so because he is alive. Now, you might say, well, wait a minute. He's alive, okay? That's next week. So table that. Maybe you'll come back. And we'll talk about it. I really want to talk about future and forward here to kind of close this out about hope. It's a no-so that is future and forward. It is not here now, right? What is said a lot today, and this is a recent phenomenon, everybody, because, because of the Enlightenment, atheism, um, atheism is a recent phenomenon. 
And a lot of it happened since the end. And whether you, you know, um, have thought much about um, atheism or spent much time talking to somebody who is or whatever, our culture has been affected. We're all affected by it because it's pretty, pretty prominent in that way of thinking. And that is basically there is no future and there is no forward. So it's, it's all about here and now. Now I want you to think about that for a second. Again, let's think, let's think, let's think deeply about that. What implication would that have? Now I said at the beginning of this message, well, things are so much better than they were a thousand years ago. Oh my gosh, please. You've read history <laughs> 2,000 years ago, 3,000 years ago. Things are phenomenally better. Why are we experiencing an epidemic of hopelessness? On September 3rd, a little bit about this. Uh, we're going to have uh, up on stage for a little bit of that time our youth pastor, Matt. Right? And we're talking about something that's going on in our schools. Right? Suicide is going up off hopelessness. I had a great opportunity this past summer to speak to all the senior chaplains in the Army National Guard in the beautiful city of Little Rock, Arkansas. Never been there before. And, I, you know, I haven't been in the military. I haven't been in the so I wanted to get some kind of context. So I had a whole day to spend with all the senior chaplains from all, every state. And uh, I think Guam was included. And, yeah, so it was, there was a lot. Of, it was over 200 guys there. Uh, men, senior chaplains. And I just, so tell me, help me to have some context, help me to understand. You know the first words out of their mouth? Suicide. You need to talk to us about suicide. Suicide, suicide. Five times the national average. Well, who's doing it? Young men. Who's committing suicide in our schools? Predominantly everybody. It's rich white kids. Now, there's a group of people who are suffering. I've been to third world countries a lot. Tremendous suffering. Not an epidemic of suicide. Isn't that fascinating? Okay. If we tell people there is no future and there is no forward, there will be, something will play out as a... If you live your life as all you have is here and now, it will affect the way you look at life here and now. And up until the Enlightenment, almost everybody believed in something, that there was a future and there was a forward. Maybe they believed you'd come back over and over and over and over again, maybe. Or maybe you'd go to heaven, whatever. But you believed something was future and forward. And that ended. And now we have what people are talking about as an epidemic of hopelessness. And I want to just clarify this really clear here. What is hope in the Bible? It's a no-so. It's a no-so in the future, and it's a no-so in the forward. And if we anchor ourselves to the finite, everything that's perishing and fading on the shelf like milk, we are going to have a hard through the storms of life and believe they're coming. But if you're thinking about what's ahead, what's ahead? I always think about this, okay? You got two people digging ditches, right? They're digging ditches. And they got to dig ditches for 12 hours a day, and their supervisor is just absolutely miserable. Barking at them, doesn't let them have any breaks, there's no vacation. They got to do it for an entire year, right? You tell the one person, look, at the end of the year, we're going to pay you $30,000. Right, do you think that they're not happy? Seven days a week, 12 hours a day, miserable boss. You tell the other person, we'll pay you at the end of the year $30 million. Is there a different attitude between the two of them? There is a an incredibly different attitude. And so you have an inheritance and it's locked up in heaven, protected by God and nobody can get it. God is guarding it. Like you can't rob yourself and nobody else can rob you of it. God has an inheritance for you. It's up, it's future, it's forming to you. 
right? Because hope is not here and now in the Bible. Hope is future and it's forward because everything here and now is perishing and fading away and that's no hope. That is no hope at all. And until we understand that, we're going to be frustrated. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you're going to be a frustrated follower of Jesus Christ. Unless we understand what Peter is saying, that it's future and it is forward. Now, listen. Here's what he says. 1 Peter 1.6. Did you notice that when Natasha read it? It says, you are, you're going through storms for a little while. For a little while. You're, right? So there's, it's going to come to an end. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse number 2, the beginning of it. We did not read that today, but you can check it out on your own time. It says this, you're strange. Many places the Bible says this, you're aliens, you're citizens of another kingdom, right? It says all of these things. You're citizens, you're aliens. Here's what it's trying to describe. You are on a really bad vacation. Vacation. Now, sometimes the vacation seems okay, but sometimes the vacation is really bad. Anybody ever been on a bad vacation? Really? You haven't been on a bad vacation? You should hang out with me. One person over here said, yes, the rest of you, good. You're booking the vacation with you. You're going great. This isn't all there is. There is so much more. At the beginning of the summer, I read this book about grit by Angela Duckworth. It's about the power of perseverance and passion. It was fast. She looks at this very scientifically. And here's the question. Why do people hang in there? Why do people persevere? And let's take a scientific look at it. So they looked at West Point. They looked at the Green Berets. They looked at people who were salespeople. Looked at all countries. Looked at the military trying to figure out. And the West Point has gotten a whole lot better about it, she says recently. And there's a reason why. But they wanted to boil it down and says, why do some people? Because people are successful, right, according to her study. People are successful in this life not so much because of their talent, but a combination of talent and grit. Matter of fact, a lot of people who are really talented, don't do well. They underperform because they don't grit it out. They don't persevere, which has a lot to do with the word hope. And so here's what they, you know, it's the one, one line from the book that I thought was absolutely amazing. It says, what was the common denominator with all those people who just kept going like the Energizer Bunny? Here was their belief. This is what they all had in common. They felt their condition, their condition they were in, where they were experiencing warm problems, whatever, deterrence. They felt that that condition was not permanent, that it would pass. Peter is saying the same thing here. For a little while you might suffer. You're on a bad vacation, but you're strangers. This is not your kingdom. You live. You are, you are an alien in a distant land, but you're coming home. And home is future. And home is forward. If your hopes are anchored to this life, you are in for an abundance of dis. Especially when you consider what God is trying to do with your life. What does God specialize in? God specializes in getting us through this life, not anchoring us to this life. I'm going to say that again, because this is what hope is. God specializes in getting us through this life, not anchoring us to this life. I read Hebrews a few moments ago, chapter 6. Jesus is our anchor. Now, when you and I think of anchors, what do we think about? Like anchors on a ship. You put the anchor down, and it just kind of holds you back. It holds you back from, right, from wherever the current's taking you, Okay. Now we're going to flip things way around because that's not the way the Bible talks about anchors. You know where the Bible talks about anchors? Jesus Christ is our anchor. He is our sure and certain hope. And he is in heaven. So what is Jesus Christ our anchor doing? You have an anchor. He's up in heaven. And what is he doing? He's pulling you where? He's pulling you forward. 
And if we've dropped our anchor here on earth, we're fighting against what Jesus is doing. He's saying, Put your, don't attach yourself, anchor yourself to everything that's finite. That's what suffering is. All those finite things are being stripped away. Future, forward, up. That's where he's taking you. He takes us through things, forward and through. If I'm anchored, I'm frustrated in the hope. I'm frustrated in the hope that Jesus Christ is pulling me towards God's specialty. Everybody, this is all over the place in the Bible, is getting us through, through things. Through things. So it says things like this. He'll get you through the pit, the prison. He'll get you through the wilderness. He'll get you through the sea. He'll get you through the storms, right? Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. You know what it says in there, Psalm 20? The Lord is my shepherd. Then it has this line in verse 4. Even though I walk how? Through. Through. Not it. Even though I set up camp in the valley of the shadow of death. No. (laughs) No. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. God specializes us through things. Isaiah 43, really important verse. When you pass through the what? Waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not blaze, for I am the Lord your God. You have to cut your anchor to things that are finite, and you have to... Take the rope from the anchor that's in heaven, attached to what is infinite, and allow God to pull you through future and fortitude of perspective that will change everything about our lives. Allow God to pull you through. That's what no-so is. Let me end with a story. There was a gentleman named Thomas. The father was a minister. His mother was the church pianist. So he was raised in the church and raised in a very musical environment. Thomas was incredibly talented. Obviously, he began his uh, days in the church, singing, playing in the church. But even at a very young age, in his teens, everybody, he left home because he had so much opportunity that was before him. He was so talented. He was already in his teens, sought after traveling all over the country, Thomas was, because of his skill set. And eventually, he got rid of the anchor up there, so to speak, and he anchored himself to the things here and he did that for about three or four years and all of a sudden he realized he was so because the things in this life were leaving him empty somebody approached him a relative is actually says, you know what you, you just need to you need to rethink this thing yeah you're super talented but is this the life is this the life that you want to live in is this life giving you hope it's leaving you empty you need to anchor yourself to something else besides all this stuff that eventually is going to fade away and he turned around his life. And this is what he says when he did this. He's at the age of 21, guy, super talented guy. He says, when he anchored himself to the infinite again and cut his anchor with things that are finite, he said, my inner being, quote, my inner being was thrilled. My soul was of divine rapture. He poured himself into God-honoring music, music that talks about things that are infinite, not finite, glorifies things that are infinite, not finite. He did this. And man, for the next decade of his life, things just, they just went. He had a music ministry that just took off. He was just so talented. He met the love of his life in church, and they got married. And then one day a storm came in, as storms do. They will. They're all, they are always coming. And his wife died in childbirth. And his son that was born died the very next day. 
and it rocked his world and he cut himself off from everybody everybody because this is going to come into play again in a few weeks he cut himself from all people and just locked himself away and he was very angry with God and the only thing he could think about was he's just going to go back to the to the jazz world his own thing and he went on that way for a little while kind of locked away just angry and a friend of his, as if the friend knew exactly what he needed, came and got him one day and took him down to a music school on, at a keyboard. And Thomas Dorsey sat that keyboard and he began to play and pray. And he tells people years later that it was at that moment that God healed him as he pray and play and reach back out to the infinite. And as he sat there, everybody, these are the words that he wrote. Precious Lord, take my hand. Lead me on. Let me stand. Tired, I'm weak, I'm worn. Through the storm, through the night, lead me on to the light. Take my hand. Precious Lord, lead me home. He went on to pen more than three songs, Christian songs, that affected and turned them towards the infinite not the finite. I'd like us to do something here in conclusion. I've asked Nisa and Naomi if they would sing that song. You're here this morning. You're either in a storm or you're headed into a storm. I always want to ask, and I've prayed that this would be the case today, that as we sing this song in a few moments, as we stand and sing this song, that you would feel your hand slipping into that Christ and him pulling you through. We have a living hope because we have a living Savior. And we want to believe this morning that God is going to help us turn our eyes towards what is infinite, not what's finite and what's perishing. So could we all do this? Could we stand up together? And Nisa's going to lead us in this song. Let's just sing it with all of our hearts as a prayer to Almighty God. Take it away. Wonderful. I want to say a prayer. Uh, us in this room are going through storms. We feel the hand of Jesus Christ pulling us forward and through the storm, okay? But if you're here and you want somebody to pray specifically with you, our prayer team is over here on that wall. They pray all the time, all this moment to pray with you. And they'd be thrilled to pray with you. And if you're new here, we do something right back here. I'd love to meet you, Grace and Five. Love to meet you back here. We tell you everything you know about this church in five minutes or less. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for everybody in this. Your word says that we're a chosen people, which kind of means that this morning, God, that you made the decision to touch our hearts to come out to be at church today. We might think it was our own design and plan, but drawing us forth because you wanted to say something to us today through your word. Lord, many of us in this room this morning are going through a storm. In these moments right now, God, I just ask that you would turn our perspective towards you, toward it, and we would feel your hand in our hand pulling us through, through the storm, through the night, God, through the pit, through the prison, whatever it might be, God, that you would get us through and help us to anchor ourselves to you, a living Christ. God, encourage us all day today and all this week with the power of your word. In Christ's holy name, everybody said, amen, amen. Thank you so much. God bless you. Appreciate you being here today.
Thanks for listening to this week's message. Grace Community Church, a church for people who don't go to church, meets on Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. in Arlington, Virginia. Connect with us anytime at trygrace.org.